0: Hey, good morning. How are y'all doing? Good, good. good. I'm, I'm really excited about this morning um, for two reasons. Um, one, because you're all here. That's a good reason. Um, and I think all of you are probably here because the football season is over and you got nothing else to do after church. So we might as well be here. But I'm glad that you're here. And, and also, uh, we started a new series last weekend. Um, And that new series was called Living on Mission. Um, And as we kicked off this new series, uh, we talked about being authentic Christian community. And over the next uh, three weeks after today, we're going to continue this series looking at our church's mission statement. Um, If you have a program, if you got a program this morning, on the front there is a paragraph that is our CTK mission statement. And it reads something like this: To create an authentic Christian community that effectively reaches out to unchurched people with love, acceptance, and forgiveness, so that they may experience the joy of salvation and a purposeful life of discipleship. Now, I've been around Christ the King for many years, and that was something we were told we needed to memorize—not um, to look at it above Scripture, but, but with Scripture. That. that That those core values of that mission statement are, are to point back to that mission. And so last weekend we took the first chunk and talked about authentic Christian community. And the two things we said if we're going to be an authentic Christian community was that we needed to get real about where we were. That none of us were perfect but we're broken people gathering together and we needed to get real about where we were. And two, we needed to choose to grow together in Christ. We need to choose to grow together in Christ. And so as we looked at authentic Christian community this weekend, we're going to look at effectively reaching out to unchurched people. We're going to look at this together. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to talk through a story where Jesus talks about reaching the the lost people. And I want to give you an example as you're turning to your Bible in Luke 15, Um. I drink a lot of coffee. I, <laughs> I love coffee. And, and, and I'm, I'm kind of a coffee snob. I've been around friends who've been baristas, and, and they really love coffee. And so I've grown to really, really love coffee. I mean, my coffee in the morning is four shots of espresso over ice. Some of you think this is a heart attack so far. And uh, and that's it. Um, and no flavoring, no nothing, just the flavor of coffee. Some of my friends have tried this and say it's disgusting. Um, it's like licking leather with some milk on it. Um, it's just a disgusting taste, they say. Um, but I love the taste of coffee. Um, and to try and save money, my wife and I got a coffee machine, one of those coffee machines with all the bells and all the whistles and and uh, so that we can make coffee at home, which is really fun when people come over because I turn into this little barista that really knows nothing. Um, but I just love making coffee, and I've, I've stopped going to Starbucks. I mean, I was on a first-name basis with the baristas there. I could get out of my car in the middle of the parking lot and reach to the front, and my coffee would already be at the, at the end counter. They knew what I was drinking. They knew my name, and we had a system down together. Um, But I've since stopped drinking Starbucks coffee, Um, and it it wasn't the perfect coffee, but I would always go, you know, for the coffee, for the atmosphere, and it's just a place where you meet people. Um, And so when I was meeting not long ago, remember, I I haven't been there for, for quite a while. I haven't gone consistently, and so I was with a friend having coffee, and we got our drinks. You know, they offered us this specialty drink you must have, and I said, okay, well, yeah, let's give that a shot. And uh, so we both got this coffee, we sat down, and we're in the middle of our conversation. And a barista walks up, she, she walks up to our table, and offers us a sample. Now you've probably, how many of you have been in Starbucks, and you know that they're always at one point walking around with all these samples? But what was so comical to me is that she walked up and she offered us what we both already had. So how do you take a sample of something you already have? And she's really trying to give this pitch that, you know, you should try this. And we're like, I, this is what we have. And she, so she's like checking, are you sure? Like, what, let's look at your coffee cup. She was adamant that, that what we had is not what she had. But then we found out what we had was what she had and what she had is what we had. And it was very confusing. But here's what I realized. I didn't think much of it. And I walked away from that. And I sat in my car, uh, or as I drove away, I was thinking... Um, something about this interaction is that this is kind of how we think and sometimes how we go about reaching the unchurched. See, right now, we are our churchgoers here this morning among churchgoers. Maybe it's, maybe it's your first time here this morning. Maybe you've been here longer than I have, um, but we're in a place gathered together to be the, to be the church, and so, here's the interesting thing sometimes, I think, how we look at reaching the unchurched is that in our gatherings is where we're trying to go to one another and giving each other samples of the gospel. I going, have you, have you tried this? And, and everyone's going, like, I, I've tried that. I've got what you've got, and you've got what I've got, and it gets really confusing. And we're going, man, I'm, I'm trying to reach these people, and they seem kind of far off, and so I'm trying to engage with them, and... And yet, the real issue is we have to walk outside the building, that we can't continue to share what everyone else we hope that they have, because if we just keep offering samples to one another, the gospel will never be preached outside these walls, because there are people in our community that have never received what is being shared, now they have. They, they may have heard messages. They may have uh, grown up in a uh, church environment, but there's still a piece for them, quite possibly, that's missing. They've never truly received what's being offered. They've never received that, and so we have to choose together this morning to go where the gospel isn't being offered. We need to take what we have to offer, and we need to go where it's not being shared. I mean, could you imagine if that barista, barista took two steps outside of Starbucks and stepped into the other stores, stepped into the other environments? No one's got those coffees. No one's got those. And so we have to, just like that, we can't be sharing just with one another. We have to step into environments where this isn't being shared, which means we're stepping into where lost people are. And so one of the greatest examples, one of the greatest Uh, people that was about reaching the lost was Jesus. Jesus cared deeply about the lost. And as we read in Luke 15, it opens up that he's gathered lost people and religious people. And so he's not just saying, I'm either going to gather with these guys within who already have been sharing with the samples. I'm going to gather with these guys who have never heard he's gathering them both. And so as we read in Luke chapter 15, we see how Jesus is effectively reaching out to the lost and how he is giving this example of how important lost people are. So in Luke 15 verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so there's a couple ways that you and I can effectively reach out. And when I first studied our, or tried to memorize our church mission statement, there was a couple words that stuck out to me. Um, As we looked last week at Creating Authentic Christian Community, um, that word create, it means we've, we've got work to do. And then to effectively reach out. Now, we can, we can go out and say, I, I reached this person. I gave them a card uh, as going through the drive through. I, uh, I put a promo card of that series uh, as my tip at a restaurant. Please don't do that. Um, that's a terrible tip. Um, and so there's all these ways that we, we could say, hey, I'm reaching out. But to, but to add that word in the beginning, to effectively reach out, we can't just passively look at that. It's pretty specific. And so this morning, there's a couple ways that I think we can effectively reach out. And the first is by caring about lost people. That we can effectively reach out by caring about lost people. In Luke 15, when Jesus gathers the people. Verse 2 says he welcomed sinners and ate with him. Ate with them. This is what he was catching flack for. This is what people were the religious people were angry about was that he was welcoming sinners, the rejects to eat with him. Now see one of the definitions, one of the Greek words and the definition of translated for the word welcomed means to receive as a friend. And so he wasn't just gathering in the same room with them and going, okay, I'll somewhat associate with you, but he became friends with them. He built relationship with them because Jesus cared about lost people. See, that's the big difference that we see in the New Testament between the religious people and Jesus is that he deeply cared for lost people. So he had a heart for those who were lost in sin. Jesus welcomed them. He had compassion on them. He was accepting of them despite their sins and their faults. He didn't let those things fall and never acknowledge them, but he didn't count that against them. He considered them friends. And he was a friend to those who were never considered friends of that time. Jesus had an attitude of lost people that were attractive to others around him. Remember in verse 1 of of Luke 15, it says that, that they begin to gather. Jesus didn't do a lot of work of saying, hey, make sure you're here at this time. We're going to gather for this season, for this detail. Those people desired to be around Jesus because his life reflected an infectious friendship. That they wanted to be around him. They wanted to be like him. So let me ask you this, church. Do do you do that? Do we do that? Do we have that infectious type lifestyle that so reflects Christ that we receive others as friends? We become friends with others? Because we have, here's the deal, we have a choice. We have a choice. Because caring about lost people doesn't come naturally for you and I. Naturally, we're selfish, right? I mean, from day one, you don't teach a child to be selfish, you teach them to share, you teach them to be selfless, because from day one, that is our struggle, that is our downfall, because we believe that we need to focus inward on me, on what I've got going on. But if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to care about lost people, we have to be selfless in this but all of us usually take a different approach, just as the religious people did than Jesus. They were often at odds. I mean, think about it this way. When you come up to a traffic accident, there's always three types of people at this accident. There's always three types of people. The the first is the bystander and the outlookers, those who we would probably call uh rubberneckers right they're they're the people that really want to know what's going on how bad is this accident what's going on with the hurt people i don't want to get too close i just want to slow down and cause everyone behind me to have to slow down i just want to see what's going on you already feel angry um, because you've experienced this and you're caught in traffic but they want little to no involvement they're going, I just, I just want to see what's going on, but I don't want to engage with what's going on. And so you have the bystanders and the onlookers. And then you have the police officers. And you have those that are going there intentionally to investigate what's the cause of the accident, who, who was here in the middle of the accident. And then they're the ones that, that right, rightfully so, but they assign blame and then they give out appropriate warnings or, or punishments. Who, who hit, who who caused this, who caused that, and, and they, they judge the person based on the law. And they go, this is, okay, this is, how, this is how you failed in this area and so we're going to ticket you because you did wrong here. And then there's the third group of people that I would encourage us to become is like the paramedics. Because the paramedics are usually the most welcomed in an accident environment. They're the ones that show up and they really could care less about whose fault it is. They really could care less about how the accident came about. They don't engage in the lecture of of who did what. They rather give encouragement. We're here to help the hurting. This is why we're here. We're here to help the hurting. And so the response is that, to help those who are hurting. And they bandage wounds, and they they free trapped people, and they give encouragement. And so you have three groups of people that really show up around hurting people. And as we look at that illustration, you have three groups of people that are really showing up around lost people. So the ones that are uninvolved, the ones that are assigning blame and and assigning punishment. And then the third group that are saying, we're here to help the hurting. We're here to help. We're not here to assign blame. We're here to help. So ask yourself for a second, which group are you in? Which group are you in? Are, Are you... Are you interested in what's going on, but, but disconnected? Are you assigning blame and, and reading more scripture and realizing that that person doesn't live their life according to that scripture? Are you judging them based on their successes or their failures? Or are you getting in there and helping the hurting? Which group are you in? Because here's, here's the deal that, that we need to be really honest with ourselves about, is that if we're in any other group than with the paramedics, then this message has no point. Then this message has no point at all. So we have to put ourselves in a place of submission to Jesus where then we're saying, listen, I want to go and help the hurting. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I want to go and help the hurting. And that's what it means to care about lost people. And then the second is that we can effectively be reaching out by connecting with lost people. You can't care for someone you're not connecting with. And see, here's the deal. Jesus reached some of the most hated people of his days. I mean, those with diseases, those with demons. I mean, pretty much he, he connected with all of those on the Jerry Springer show. I mean, that was like Jesus' group. He's going, man, this is who I'm going to connect with. And we want to watch the show, but we don't want to get in there. Right? And so these are the, the, the people that Jesus met with, who he gathered with, still inviting those who only wanted to watch. Because Jesus invited all as friends. And so as Jesus reached some of the most hated people of his day, It's by his example that we're to tear down that wall of prejudice, tear down that wall of assumption and reach out to people. And to reach out to people regardless of where they are and regardless of where they come from, to reach out to them. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 and 7, this isn't in your notes, but I was just writing this verse down this morning that that it says, we once... Paul tells the church in Corinth, listen, we once regarded Jesus according to the flesh, but we don't anymore. We no longer consider him according to the flesh. And so let's not do that with one another. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so what we need to understand as we connect with lost people is that there is no one beyond The reach of God's grace. There is no one beyond the reach of God's grace. And God's grace is his love shown to us, even though you and I don't deserve it. The grace of God is the unmerited favor of God, that you and I don't deserve it. And in fact, it's not something that you and I can earn One of the most difficult things that that you will possibly struggle in is that you cannot earn God's grace. And if you're trying to, you'll never reach success. Because He chose you before you started trying to succeed. He chose you before you started trying to succeed. And here's the deal that I think is really important for us to understand. He doesn't regret that. On your hardest day, He doesn't regret that. On your easiest day, when you forget Him, He doesn't regret that. And He extends grace to you and I. And this is what you and I have the opportunity to extend. And so if we were to get outside of our heads for a moment, if we were to get outside of trying to be the, the the bystanders, the onlookers or the police and try to manage everything. If we were just really to get in there with the hurting people, I think our perspective would change. And going, I, I've got to start caring for hurting people. Because Jesus cared for me as a hurting person. And so as we connect with lost lost people, I'm not sending you out with a gospel track. I'm not sending you out with four points of evangelism for you to then go do this week and we'll, we'll grade you on the following week, but it's in your relationships. You know, it was once uh, said, I've heard just a couple people use the example, you know, like uh, that, that Jesus once talked about uh, people being like salt, um, that we are the salt of the earth. Um, And just spread that around. But what we've commonly done is just all gathered together, and we're one big salt lick, just hoping that someone gets interested and just comes along and just gives it a good lick. That's pretty weird, but yet that's that's the method. And I think it's because we're afraid. We're afraid of engaging with non-believers. We're afraid of engaging with those who don't believe what we believe. And there's this myth in in the church, in, in our people, that evangelism is hard. Because of what we've seen before. What we've seen done that, that at one point we thought worked really well or didn't work really well. We, so we either feel like we've got to be Billy Graham on the stage giving the message to thousands upon thousands. Or we have to be the guy that's, that's wearing the, the, the knockoff shirt. You know, it's not really a, a candy bar shirt. It somehow relates to Jesus in that. And he's handing out ten cards every other minute. Um, and so we go to these extremes believing that evangelism, evangelism is hard and so we don't do anything. But the truth is to connect with lost people means it begins with relationship. If we're going to care for lost people, we're going to connect with lost people. Then we're going to begin to build relationships. So let me ask you this. As you think of evangelism, if you can just try your hardest to just wipe out all of the examples you have of how you've seen evangelism done, of how you've seen people connect with lost people, think on this. Ask yourself this. What do I enjoy doing? With your, with your spare time, with, with what you enjoy doing. Think about that. What do you enjoy doing most? One of the things I love doing is woodworking. Am I good at it? Not at all. Don't ask me to build anything for you. It will come out terribly. Um, but I enjoy building. I enjoy it. So ask yourself what do you enjoy doing? You got it? Got it in your head? Now go do that with non believers. Go do what you love to do, what God has gifted you in, what God has wired you in, and go do that with non believers. See, I think what's so easy for us is to gather with like-minded people believing that that is what builds us up. But I think there's times where we gather with people that we have nothing in common with and if we invite them into doing what we love doing, then that's an effective way of reaching out. So we're not just gathering with the same people every week, but beginning to gather with people around a common interest around a common like. But here's what's important to understand is that when we invite people into that, we can't just invite them into our life because not all of our contexts are the same. Some of you are families with young children. Some of you are families with kids that have moved out, kids in high school. Some of you are young people who have not yet uh, had a spouse yet. Some of you are in the middle of school and, and work. All of us have different contexts. And so what, what's really important as we gather with people is not to model them, here's how to do my life, but here's how I'm following the life of Christ. That's what changes it. Not saying, hey, come do as I do, but the only reason that Paul could say that and you and I can say that, do what I do is because I'm doing what Jesus did. And so we have to begin to model our life after the life of Christ because it's no longer us who lives. When we choose to live for Jesus, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I've said this before. If you try to model your life after yourself, if you try to be in control, if you try to put everything into order and model your life after your own self, you will always be faced with the truth that you make a crummy God. You'll always be faced with the truth that you're going to fail in some way, struggle in some way. So here's what it means to connect with lost people in what you love doing. You have to own your stuff and you have to get real. Because no one wants to try to model after a fake person. And so modeling someone who is real for others means modeling for others someone who lives their life according to Christ. Living their life as a forgiven person, a forgiving person, and as a broken person. I mean, someone once asked me not long ago, what are you most excited? I mean, several people have asked me, but, but one specific person asked me, what are you most excited about teaching your son? What are you most excited about teaching him? And I said that... that uh, that I'm not perfect that I'm a very broken person and that seemed weird to them at first and I said because the message of the gospel is not how great I am it's how great Jesus is and if for me my son sees me as broken then there is a greater teaching ability there than me trying to be his superhero I never want to be my son's everything. I never want to be my wife's everything. I never want to be your everything. I never want to be anyone's anything. I want to choose to own my stuff, to get real and say, you know what? I need to own that. You know what? Over, over here, you're right. I'm, I need to let go of that. You're right. I need to forgive there. I need to be forgiving there. Because the heart of the gospel is that everything is broken, and Jesus is the remedy for redemption. That everything is broken, including you and I, and the remedy is Jesus. And so own your stuff, get real. Because lost people don't need a fake person, they need a real person. They need a person who's modeling their life after Jesus. But let me encourage you, church, do not give up in it. It's hard to reach out sometimes. It's vulnerable to reach out, but don't give up. It's a process. It's a process, and it never ends. Because as Jesus gave us the example in Luke 15, through the story, he shares that that the, the person, the shepherd, goes after the one sheep. He goes after him, And what we can acknowledge from this, that Jesus seems to be pointing out is that persistence was needed. That you have to continue on in it. So don't give up. That person you've been praying for 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 years. That person you've been fighting for for years. That person you've been reasoning with for years. Don't give up on them. Continue to invite them into your life and be real with them. Because you're not a perfect person, and nobody needs a perfect person. But invite them into the process of your life, of your relationship with Christ. And then finally, effectively reaching out for you and I is done by covering lost people in prayer. By covering lost people in prayer. Towards the end of Jesus' parable, he points out pretty clearly that there's a big celebration for those that are found. And so as you and I acknowledge that we are to be on mission, to go live on mission, to care about lost people, to connect with lost people, and to be covering lost people in prayer, it means not just for that one person in that one moment, but continually that they would be saved through the work of the cross by Jesus. And Paul maps out to Timothy, an early church leader, a young church leader, that prayer be made for all, to continue to pray for all. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, he says this. He says, this is good, making prayer available for all. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And that man, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And so you and I have truly been invited into a process. You and I have been invited in to covering lost people in prayer because it's really about sharing what Jesus has already done. It's not about you and I figuring out a four-point clever system of what we can go out and do, but sharing what Jesus has already done. And so last weekend, we had an opportunity. I invited you to come to a potluck praise and prayer night. If that isn't enough words that start with P, I don't know what is. But we had this wonderful time of gathering, and if you missed it, Um, you really missed it. Uh, We broke out towards the end in uh, groups of prayer, and we got to pray for the unchurched. And not only in in the unchurched, but we were also praying for the global church and the local church. And in these groups, they broke out and began to pray very specific things um, for one another, for the body, for the non-believers. And the two cat, the two Uh, categories that we prayed for of lost people were the unchurched and the dechurched, And the unchurched are those who have never met Jesus. And we asked a few specific things, and I put this in your program so that you can be praying these things, is that for those who have never met Jesus, that we would reach them with the message of hope that is in Jesus. Not in you and I, but the message of hope that is in Jesus. That too, that they would experience the love of Jesus. That they would experience the love of Jesus and that they would choose to live for Jesus. And then we prayed for what is called the de-churched and that is for those who have walked away from Jesus, which James talks about in his book in James 5. And we prayed that, that we would pursue reconciliation with our wandering brothers and sisters in Christ. And so churches, we go out from here. I don't have a question for you to think on. I don't have a track for you to take away. I'm not pitching a promo card or anything for you to invite five friends by next Sunday, but for you to get on your knees and fight for your non-believing friends. To begin to fight for your non-believing friends in prayer. Because Jesus invites us to effectively reach out. Not just reach out. It's not a new concept that was created by Christ the King Church, but it's one that we model after Jesus. That he invites us to effectively reach out so that we can see lost people become saved people. Let's pray.